Hey, leader of learning, when it comes to professional development, wouldn't you want to save money and choose PD that meets your needs? Midwest Teachers Institute offers the most affordable state accredited graduate courses on the market for salary enhancement, state certification, and continued education with no hidden fees. With classes designed by professionals active in their field, you get practical tips to help you improve what you do best. Sign up for a class and see why they truly are teachers helping teachers. Visit MidwestTeachersInstitute.org and enter the coupon code LEARNING at checkout to save $30 off your first course. That's MidwestTeachersInstitute.org and coupon code LEARNING. Welcome back for another episode of the Leader of Learning podcast. This is where educators can come to find inspiration to transform education through effective leadership. I'm your host, Dan Krinas. Let's get started. We talk about equity and, and, and bias, or you know, personal biases teachers have. Sometimes they don't even recognize they have bias because that is their normal. Welcome back, leader of learning. And if you are like me, you are still thinking about equity and inclusion and our response to it and our need to address it more in whatever role we have in our schools and in our districts. As I mentioned, for me, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I do take care to diversify the guests that I bring onto the podcast. And what I did was I promised to re-release and put out episodes by guests who I've had on the podcast before who come from marginalized communities. And I stand by my promise. In this episode, you will hear an interview that I originally did back in episode 34 with my good friend, Basil Marin. Basil is one of those guys who I've definitely become friends with in the field of education and on a personal level. We met as 2017 inductees into the class of ASCD Emerging Leaders, and we quickly became not just friends, but critical friends, friends who hold each other accountable and friends who push each other to be better educators, but even more better people. I want to actually take this time to congratulate Basil because just recently, uh, between him pushing me and me pushing him, we both achieved some milestones, if you will, in our doctoral journeys. I have completed my journey. I've defended successfully my dissertation, and I'm about to graduate finally with my EDD degree in educational leadership. And Basil, congratulations, buddy. He has successfully defended his proposal, which means that now he can enter the dissertation phase as a doctoral candidate and continue his journey while he conducts his research and writes the rest of his dissertation. Congratulations, Basil. And without further ado, here again is my interview with Basil. Okay, guys, I have an exciting guest for this episode, uh, a friend of mine, fellow ASCD emerging leader, Mr. Basil Marin. Uh, if you could, Basil, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody, who you are, where you are, and what you do. Absolutely, Dan. Um, I am Basil Marin, a proud assistant principal at Churchland High School for Portsmouth Public Schools in Portsmouth, Virginia. Um, as Dan has said, I am also a 2017 emerging leader and proud to be a, bro- a fellow brother for Dan in the same cohort. Um, and also, Dan, at this time, I'd like to thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, I'm very uh, supportive of the work that you're doing and the mission and vision of empowering leaders to reach their full potential. Um, and if it wasn't for people like you, you know, really speaking to my life and helping me be where I am, um, I would not be where I am today to help 
students and teachers to be better. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, and thank you for, for coming on and being a guest here because I really do admire the work that you're doing. And actually, you know, for, for the audience's sake, um, what they didn't hear was that we just had a conversation before we started recording. And I said, man, the more we keep talking, the better fodder it, it will be for a good podcast episode. So I'm going to actually back up to something that we were talking about before I hit record. And one of the things that you and I have in common is that uh, we are lifelong learners. And not only are we lifelong learners, but we really um, thrive on being able to model that for the students that we work with, um, both trying to earn that highest level of, of education we can get, the doctoral degree, and, and I think for, for relatively similar reasons. So I guess if you could just talk about kind of what your inspiration was to, to get to that level and to model lifelong learning. Absolutely, Dan. So for me, um, actually in my family, um, I'm one of the first uh, sons, you know, nephew, cousins to have earned a master's degree or EDS degree. And so even in that respect, um, I could have stopped there and been pretty, pretty well off and had the family proud of me. Um, but again, I have a lot of mentors who were like, Basil, take that extra step and get that doctorate. Um, that will increase your, your capacity and what you can do in the educational field, as well as um, make you a true mentor and model for what lifelong learning is. So for me, it's kind of a a personal um, goal I've had for 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 a while in the last couple of years, but also thinking back to when I was in first and second grade and I was reading on the on the kindergarten reading level and I was always behind, kind of in, in literacy and having reading coaches and specialists work with me to be where I am today. If you would have told me ten years ago I would be where I'm at, um, I would have laughed at you because I I didn't see that for myself. And so even in my role now as an administrator, I a lot of times with students will let them know where I am so they can see the progress and they can see what I've done. And I let them know, hey, it's, it's possible for you as well. You just have to put the work in, be, be have a lot of determination and will, and you can make it happen. So for a lot of my kids, I, I really want to know what their post-secondary goals are. Uh, even in a discipline a discipline or due process, I say, hey, what do you want to do after high school? And I make it more about them. And then I say, well, listen, this discipline we're, we're kind of going through right now, this, this can't happen to make that goal happen. And then moving forward, what are we going to do differently so you can achieve your goal? So a lot of times for them, I'm just spitting back to them what they want and they're showing them that, hey, anyone can do it, especially if I can. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I'm at a middle school level. And so it's hard. And actually, I just had this conversation with my students the other day. It's really hard for them to see past the noses on their faces, uh, especially when it comes to like higher education or their plans or goals for the future. But at the very least, I do find a responsibility in myself to model that sort of lifelong learning for students. And while I may not have had quite the same background as you, uh, you know, I, I was a good student in school uh, all the way through high school, but in college, uh, to be honest, I got kind of lost. And I had always sort of played the game of school and I played it pretty well, but I started to not be a real student anymore. And I, I just, I, I wanted to get back to what it meant to really truly be a, a good student. And actually it took uh, getting my master's, actually t I have two master's degrees in order to do it. And and once I, I sort of felt that that pride, then I was like, man, I don't want to stop. And uh, yeah, I do think that it's been pretty inspiring, you know, for, for my students to see that as well. Absolutely. And again, just people who are who look up to you and proud of you for what you've done. Like I said, that self-pride is huge. That also taps into that self-efficacy. And once you, just like with students, when we give them, when they have positive reinforcement, you want to go for more. You want to do more. You want to do better. And something that like Oprah, Oprah Winfrey said that I think is so powerful is when you know better, you do better. And so I think that's, 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 
for anybody, no matter what age, it doesn't have an age limit. When you know better, you're able to do better in life and be able to help others along the way. Yeah. I, again, I, I totally agree. And, you know, keeping in line with this whole idea of being a lifelong learner and, and modeling for your students and, and, and for you in an administrative role, it, it may look a little different, but just in general, as an educator, I think part of that is, of course, building meaningful relationships so that you can get through to students. And one of the things I admire about you and the work that you're doing is being able to do that and, and to support these kids who may or may not be in the same place that, that you were when you were younger, but you know might be at risk, let's say. Um, you know, how, do you, how do you go about doing that? What, what kinds of things do you bring to the table to really tap into uh, those relationships and, and build up those those kinds of students. Absolutely. So for me personally, um, I think back to my days when I was in middle school or high school and how teachers made me feel um, and how that really helped impacted me as a student and made me want to do better. Even if it's not something that I wanted to do, I wanted to do it for my teacher because I respected him or her. And so for me, um, you know, I've been doing a lot of reading personally. And so I, a lot, I think I've kind of um, shared some of my thoughts about what it is to build relationships. And a lot of people who know me know that's very dear to my heart. So for me, um, there's seven essential principles that I found in the book of um, Michael Fallon's Leading in the Culture of Change. I think that they kind of really emulate what I try to live my life after. And one of the first principles is setting clear standards um, and letting kids know what I expect from you. I have high standards for you, no matter your cultural background, your your socioeconomic background, we can can accomplish whatever you want to. And so that is really huge for me is letting them know I have standards for you and we're going to reach them together. I think also expecting the best from students and not letting them to to lower the bar for themselves. And with a lot of teachers, that's where I see a lot of the lack and a lot of professional development I've been able to provide is sometimes their own biases and their own things they've went through or the differences that you spoke to Dan earlier, because they are different, a different um, race or, or ethnicity from the student, they feel like they can't really speak to them. And that's not really the truth. Um, so having the, the expectation of you can be the best you can be, and I can help you reach that. Um, and then also along with that is, is paying attention to students and their personal needs. Every student has a different need. Every student has a different walk of life. So getting to know that child and hearing their story will allow me as an administrator, allow you as a teacher to understand how you can best meet the needs of the students and how you can help them to get to where they're trying to go to. Um, I think the number four is personalized recognition. Um, something that people really appreciated about Bill Clinton was that um, he was great with people relations and he knew people by their name and he established a connection. So for kids, you think about the Maslow hierarchy of needs, think about why students or especially at-risk minority students, why they join gangs. They want to feel a part of something. They want to be a part of something. And so they will go to the negative side to make that happen. So how can we provide that same uh, feeling of family love and value within the school environment? And that's what I do by personally recognizing students and saying, hey, this is your goals. Let's go after it. I, I know your name. I know what you're, you're trying to accomplish. We can make that happen together. I think the fifth is telling the story. Um, people need to know your story and how, as administrators, for me, when I'm in professional development, I share the success stories of students that most of the teachers know um, because there are a lot of discipline issues. But the successes, again, keep teachers wanting to do better. And then also celebrating with students those small wins, um, whether it's athletics, whether it's passing a quiz, whether it's they're, they're, they're being promoted to the next grade. Celebrate those wins with those students because that keeps that connection going. And then last, setting, as we kind of spoke about earlier, setting the expectation and being the example. Um, as an administrator, it's very important for me to be a positive and relatable and approachable administrator and be the administrator that I needed when I was when I was growing up. That's great. You know, I, I, one of the things uh, you said a minute or two ago was uh, something that I literally just had a 
a, sort of a texting conversation with uh, a colleague of mine earlier today about you know really having high expectations for stand uh, for students because this is the first year that I'm back to being a classroom teacher in a few years and I got to be honest I thought going in that it might be uncomfortable, but I've been very comfortable back in the classroom. And, and one of the things that I just uh, want to do more than anything is that piece about raising the expectations for students. And um, you know, not to throw anybody under the bus, but I, I do think you're right that sometimes uh, it's difficult for teachers. And, and when it comes to professional development, um, that piece might be lacking a little bit. But I also have, I also have people that I work with who I, how can I put this? They, they kind of um, make excuses for students sometimes. And I, I just, you know, I get like, I totally get what you're saying, where each student really has their own needs. But that doesn't mean that we have to lower the bar. I think working, having those things work in tandem, where you're saying, look, I recognize each individual student's needs, but I still need them to, to meet these expectations, right? I, I might, and are we speaking the same language? I absolutely. guess is what I'm yeah, wondering. Absolutely. So when I say knowing the, the child's needs, again, sometimes just the different needs a child has is going to help you to understand how to reach them where they are. And once you know how to reach them where they are, that's where the connection begins. Okay. They say, okay, the teacher administrator understands me. They know what I'm going through. And now that I've built that connection, I'm still going to bring them up to the standard that I need them to be at. But sometimes students will tell you, well, this teacher doesn't like me or this administrator doesn't like me or they don't even know me and they're trying to talk to me and they, and they have no connection. And so I think getting to know the students, getting to know where they are just helps to build that connection. And then, like you said, Dan, we, we, we raise the bar and we say, hey, this is where we are. This is where I expect you to be. This is where I see some deficits and now we're going to help you to bridge that gap. And so absolutely, when we have those high standards for students, that lets them know as well that you care about them as well because everyone else, uh, unfortunately, in their life has given up on them and hasn't taken the time to get to understand them and where they are. So now you're providing that support and that and the advocacy they need yeah and, and speaking of you know supporting people and not giving up on them one of the things that uh, you mentioned when we, we set this interview up was that you might be able to speak to incorporating growth mindset with, with teachers coaching teachers and, and that's a huge passion of mine as well and and speaking of you know the doctoral degree what one of the things that I'd really like to incorporate into my research so um, what kind of experiences do you have there what have you seen when it comes to getting the teachers themselves to be able to grow and to learn and, and do better professionally yes Dan so so to be honest with you when I came into this role um, it was something that I knew about but I realized a lot of my teachers did not know about so I had to do a lot of groundwork and, and foundation work to help them understand what the concept of growth mindset was um, I would say a lot of the veteran teachers were not really on board, to be honest, at first. Um, a lot of the newer teachers were very, you know, they gravitated towards it and wanted to learn it. But I've seen a, a, a shift in my school where a lot of now, I would say a majority of teachers now are buying books about growth mindset. They're incorporating it into their lessons. And for me, it's important for them to know, we spoke about it at the very beginning, of being a lifelong learner. Even if you've been a teacher for 25 years, you can still grow and learn. You haven't you haven't reached the, the 100% you know, mark where you need to be, you can always grow from somebody. So for me, it's important for me to understand the teachers know what the concept is and then they incorporate it in their lessons. So for me, a lot of times what I've been doing is it's helping teachers to understand that there's strategies they can use to help them to be a better teacher, whether that's incorporating um, exciting technology, whether it's being more hands-on, whether it's bringing more projects in class. And a lot of times for a lot of these teachers, it's just going out and researching and reading books about what it means to help students grow. And so for me, one of my, one 
of my teachers, um, example I have is that she had a group of students who were pretty rally and ruly and they didn't want to learn. And so she, I told her about the growth mindset. She said, that's not going to work in my classroom. I said, let's try something. You know, you have a quiz on Friday and let's tell your class, if everyone gets above 75%, you'll make them homemade cupcakes. She's like, well, you know, I said, all kids love food. Let's, let's try that. She said, well, okay, let's see what happens. We told the kids, half of them were excited about it. Half of them were not. And then what happened was they took the quiz and everyone passed. And so the students were excited. The teacher was excited. And so I went back to her. I said, so now you got to follow through what you said. We got to make this cupcakes. And all the kids enjoyed it. And just to see the excitement from her, I said, that's growth mindset. That's giving kids, you know, helping them understand that, hey, I set a bar, you guys reached it. So now next time we're going to go to 85% and keep them pushing. And so that, and so that helped with the culture of her classroom and that built, that built community. So for me, growth mindset is very huge. And I, I use it even in my coaching with teachers. I use it with my students one-on-one, helping them understand that anything is possible if you put the time and dedication and work ethic into it. Um, and so I just think it's, it's very important that every school uses it um, because it does, it's help you move, it helps you move the needle with student achievement in, in the direction we need it to, especially with at-risk students. Yeah. And, you know, getting back to a point that we were both making a little while ago when it comes to working with students is that, of course, they're each unique and, and they have their own needs and teachers are the same way. And, and I think sometimes people forget that, that when it comes to building a growth mindset in teachers, um, there, there's no, you know, no two teachers are alike in the way that they build up uh, a fixed mindset. You know, some teachers build up a fixed mindset with technology, let's say. And of course, you know, the education is moving more toward technology and, and using that for instructional purposes. Some teachers build up, um, build up fixed mindsets around student behavior. And when students act up, they, uh, they, the teacher kind of shuts down and, it's very interesting, I guess, is what I'm saying. And, and as someone who's been in a coaching role, uh, one of the things I always try to do was first and foremost, after building that relationship with the teacher and getting to know them, then try and get to know their mindset around yeah. certain aspects of the classroom. Absolutely. Dan, you gave two great examples, especially with the technology. Like you said, with, with building the profile of a 21st century learner, you have to incorporate technology in your classroom, whether it's at our school division, we use the one-on-one. So every student has a Chromebook or it's using a BenQ interactive board. You have to incorporate those things because the students are not going to go into the workforce and that technology is going to be there. So we have to make sure they're ready to participate and volunteer to be and being being in a position where they can be innovative and learn with the world. And so I think for teachers, some of them did did learn to be a teacher 20, 30 years ago and the technology wasn't rampant then. And so how do you get them to change? And so I have examples on my school where teachers, we had to use the BenQ board. Every classroom has one now. So, uh, you know, and teachers were against it. Oh, I don't never use that. And so now some of those same teachers I was coaching throughout the first semester, second semester, they came back to me and said, I can imagine teaching my class without it. Um, so, and, and also the cool thing is that some of the students help those teachers to learn how to use it. So that also was a relationship building um, moment because teachers were vulnerable and said, hey, I don't really know how to use it. Can you help me? And that was also the teacher saying, hey, I'm going to incorporate growth mindset, but let's do more of a flipped classroom. You help me so I can help you. And now we'll, we'll continue to learn together. So I think that's that's huge. Um, and as you said, with the behavior, sometimes those biases, those teachers, they talk to each other in teacher's lounge and say, hey, well, so-and-so is terrible. But you might be the teacher that could t- change that kid's life. And so you can't, 
go off of what someone else did because maybe they weren't that they didn't build the connection and you can. And so I always take each student, like you said, individually and say, Hey, what can I do to per, to place a seed in this child to help them be successful? Can I be the person that can make them be a better person in the world and be a contributing person to society? All right. And so that I think is a nice segue into kind of the last uh, topic that I wanted to discuss with you, which is uh, overcoming biases and, and creating more equitable opportunities, let's say, for, for each of the students we, we teach. Because, you know, again, in my work as an instructional coach, I was trying to do that with teachers and, you know, quote unquote, meet them where they're at, right? And get to know each of them on an individual basis. Yes. I think sometimes teachers still struggle with this with their students, though. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you seen and what have you done to, to be able to get teachers to overcome those things? Absolutely. So I was talking about this actually in my doctoral class when we were in a social justice class. And we were talking about how when we talk about equity and, and, and bias or you know, personal biases teachers have, sometimes they don't even recognize they have bias because that is their normal. And so when I, I know when I first came to church in high school, I did um, a professional development on bias and I had each teacher do a bias survey. And the survey was self-reflective and it gave a teacher opportunity to see on the scale where they were. Once that was done, I don't have to tell the teacher where they're at. They see it for themselves. And a lot of teachers who kind of started off with, I don't have a bias. I treat all students the same. I give them equitable opportunities. They realized they were not and so then I can have the conversation of based on where you are, what are some of the resources and, and um, supports I can give you to help your students be successful? And again, some of some of it is just understanding that students have some of those socioeconomic things going on before they even come to the school. Um, before I even came to Portsmouth, again, I live I lived in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and I took some of my teachers on kind of a I call it an equity ride. And so I just showed some of the teachers who come from middle class families where some of the students lived and just seeing the conditions of where they lived now the teachers have a little bit more of an understanding they were like wow they have to deal with that before they come to school and i'm ragging on them about a pencil or about not having a book bag or not having their homework done but i have a better understanding of wow they're trying to get out of that environment and so sometimes just showing teachers where students are at it helps them to understand give them a a better lens to what to look through i think a lot of times too is i'm showing them videos um that kind of I would say validate what I'm saying. Um, some, someone I really adored um, is Dr. Rita Pearson and her idea that you have to be a champion for kids. Every child deserves someone who cares about them and values them and loves them as a person. And sometimes te- I get teachers to understand, sometimes they're going to respect you more as a teacher or an administrator than they do their own parents or guardian. And once you take that place in that child's life, you can't take that for granted. You might be the person that com- they come back to 5, 10, 20 years later and said, thank you for being hard on me. Thank you for even caring and telling me that I could do better, um, that I could be better than I am and I can I can kind of break this generational curse or this curse of poverty on my family and provide better. And so some teachers need to understand that it can be broken, but it takes time. And this work is not easy. There's no, there's not a five-step plan to kind of break it down in, in 10 months as a teacher. It takes time. It takes work. And students want to have structure. They want someone to tell them, hey, I can do better and I can retire than, than my family has. And I, so I think by making equitable opportunities, we have to look at where students are and help them to see, hey, use the system of education to get past some of the things that you're in. Um, and sometimes teachers don't realize that because of how they've lived, that they can still be a model for kids and still help them to, to come out of some of those ruts that they're in with as a family. That's awesome. And, and I love that we kind of wrapped up uh, with that question and you get it coming back around to the, to the modeling piece, because that's kind of where we started in terms of, you know, us both 
trying to reach that that pinnacle of, of education, the doctorate degree and modeling that, modeling lifelong learning. So um, once again, thank you so much for coming on. Before we go, though, if you could let everyone know how to connect with you and where to reach you out there, that'd be great. Absolutely. And again, th- Dan, thank you so much for this opportunity to be on your po- your podcast and for the work that you're doing. Um, so I have several platforms. I'll use the first main one that I use is Twitter. Um, that's at Basil underscore Marin. Um, I tweet a lot of things, tweet a lot of things about, again, positivity and how to help our kids to be more successful um, in the classroom and in life. Um, I've recently added Instagram. So that's Basil Marin underscore um, inspires. And so I try to put a lot of motivational things to get teachers excited about their day. Um, and the last platform that I primarily use is LinkedIn. Um, again, and it just kind of shows my progress as an educator and know that because of people like like Dan, who really has blessed me and spoken to my life about how I can be. And now I'm, I feel entitled to give back to the next generation and to help other minority and average kids understand that they can do it. Um, and I'm just a, one of the examples of success stories that they too can be. Awesome, man. Well, thank you for giving us some time here today. And I, I'm really excited for this episode to, to go out and uh, just keep up the great work, man. Thanks a lot. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so yet, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Also, if you enjoy the content shared on the show, please recommend this podcast to other educators, leaders, friends, or anyone you think would love listening and learning. I would also appreciate it if you would leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or whatever podcast app you use to listen. For more information about me or this show, head over to leaderoflearning.com. While you're there, you can also find the Leader of Learning blog, how to connect on social media such as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Voxer, sign up for our newsletter, and even find out how to purchase Leader of Learning merchandise. Thanks again, and remember, no matter who you are or where you are, you too can be a leader of learning.